Well, Advent is a time of hope. And Advent couldn't come at a better time. As we hear about the promise of the vaccines coming and the light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic, even in the midst of spiking cases, we are reminded somewhat starkly of what it means to live by faith. Faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, comes from suffering, which produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So if Advent is a time of hope, it also is a time when we think about suffering. It's a time when we think about endurance. It's a time when we think about character. It's a time when we think about the hope that doesn't disappoint us, remembering how God is faithful to the promises he has made as we look forward to the things we have not yet seen. Now, to be sure, we know about suffering. We know the pain of separation. We know the pain of isolation. We know the pain of disruption and loss and frustration. We know about suffering. We're working on our endurance. I mean, these are not easy days. There are things outside of our control that are impacting our freedom, our, our ability to do the things we used to do, the things that we want to do. I mean, a family Zoom video conference is not a substitute for being in a room together. It was something, but it's not what we know it could be. Endurance, by the way, is not a consistent thing. It's an overall movement through something. I mean, there are times when we feel like we're doing okay, and then there are those other times. And it's our faith and the support of others that helps us through those other times. And endurance has this kind of hanging on feel to it because we don't know how long we're going to have to persevere before our trial is over. And having to endure is revealing our character. And how we endure is refining our character. Who we are and what we really believe is being tested. Internally, as a congregation, we have realized how important is our fellowship. And on the one hand, I've heard many, many stories of how people in this congregation have connected with others. And I've experienced that myself in these now almost nine months as I've received encouraging phone calls, emails, texts, cards, handwritten notes. I want you to know how, I much, how much I appreciate those words. 
And on the other hand, we've struggled in the same regard, and I've experienced this too. Adapting to this new environment has made it difficult to check in with people like it was prior to the pandemic. And silence is painful. And I've heard the hurt, and I've heard the disappointment from some of you. Now, externally, we've been able to adapt to this new context in a couple of different ways. We've been reaching new people through the development of our electronic media ministry. I mean, we're still on kind of a learning curve. But by producing a worship experience here in the sanctuary each week, we've allowed many people to worship, hear the gospel, and connect in a new way. Sherry's praises and paper folding, which we're going to be celebrating in a couple of weeks, offered a fun weekly connection and activity for families. And as I mentioned last week, we have continued to fund missions fully and have been intentional about being in communication with those that we support. I mean, we're involved here locally in the, express, the expression of the love of Christ through service to the least of these. I mean, think about fish or the night off the street warming shelter. We're not publicity seeking, but our faithfulness to the gospel has caught the attention of many people in our area. Now, the combination of those things, the suffering, the endurance, and the character lead us to hope. They lead us to the hope that we have in Christ. We can do all things. We can live in all circumstances in hope through Christ who strengthens us. That's how we concluded our study of Philippians, remembering the awesome wonder of being in Christ. During Advent, we remember and we look forward in hope. We remember and we look forward in hope. And throughout Scripture, God's people have often been in this position, remembering God's faithfulness while waiting in hope to see God's hand at work in their midst. Last year on the first Sunday of Advent, I posed it this way. What are the tough times that you face? Unlike the Israelites, we can't point to foreign oppressors who are keeping us from experiencing joy. What are the things that would cloud your experience and dampen your hope? For some, it's the press of monthly bills that are piling up, fear of trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. For others, it's a question of health and whether they'll be strong enough and able enough to continue to be independent. Others still, it's the loss of something or someone important to them, either through death or brokenness. Twelve months ago, that seemed like the biggest thing we had to face. This year, the pandemic is a shared answer to all the questions that I asked. 2020 is going to be remembered as a year in which we all shared in the suffering. But last year I went on and asked these questions. What makes you ask, why me? Why us? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? What did I do to deserve this? What did we do to deserve this? 
And isn't there anything I can do to absolve myself? Isn't there anything I can do to make things right? Why can't we fix this? Whatever it is, whatever the darkness is, can seem overwhelming. And it can seem so heavy and so oppressive that there's no way out. That remains true this year. In these circumstances, hope isn't a Pollyanna plastic smile pasted over the difficulties. Rather, hope is the attitude of determined persistence in the midst of persistent suffering, holding fast to the vision of a Savior, of redemption, of restoration, of rescue. Now, if we want examples of those who held fast, we can look to the Old Testament. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Old Testament prophet Haggai. Now, if you've never read or spent time in Haggai, I'm going to understand. I mean, it's actually even difficult to find in the Old Testament. All right? It's located between Zephaniah and Zechariah, and depending on the size of the print of your Bible, it amounts to one page back and forth. Haggai was a prophet in Jerusalem in 520 B.C., roughly 60 years after Daniel and many other Jews had been taken into exile. And we don't know a whole lot about Haggai. He was either part of the population left behind when the best and the brightest were taken into captivity, or he'd come back early when the decree allowing return had been given. We don't know his age or his ancestry. All we know is from the saved writings and two mentions in the book of Ezra. And for, from information within this short book, we know that he preached in Jerusalem for about four months in 520 B.C. This book contains a brief synopsis of the four sermons he delivered. Now, the situation for the people left in Jerusalem was not good. The temple had been destroyed. The elite of the community had been carted off into exile almost three generations prior. In the book of Nehemiah, we get this report from Jerusalem. The survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. In other words, things were tough. Food was scarce, enemies were plentiful, and hope was, t was tough to hold. Kind of sounds like life in a pandemic. Into this environment, Haggai comes with the message, Take courage, says the Lord, for I am with you. Now the people must have thought that Haggai was crazy. Look around, they probably said. What makes you think that the Lord hangs out here? He's gone. Long ago. Now, our verses were part of the second sermon that Haggai delivered. The people had responded to his first sermon in faithfulness, but things weren't going great. And they were discouraged by what they saw. Haggai urged them to have eyes to see what God was doing, to not get stuck where they were, but to take hope for where God was leading. Take courage, he repeated to each of the leaders 
and to the people. Harkens back to the be strong and courageous that God repeated to Joshua as he was assuming leadership after Moses' death and preparing to lead the people into the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Well, as the people of God, we're to live having confidence that God will be faithful to His promises. Do we live trusting God's promises, or is our hope shaken by what we see all around? I mean, when we look for the presence of God, we often look first at our own circumstances, and we evaluate based on what we can see of our own situation. And then we'll look to those immediately around us. And when things are not the way that we wish, we tend to blame God or to declare that He's not present. Living in hope doesn't mean that we wish away present realities. Rather, it means that we're not bound by them. Haggai was not unaware of the situation in Jerusalem. He was abundantly aware. Yet his sermons urged the people to faithfulness through the rebuilding of the temple. Rebuilding the temple required endurance because things looked bleak. Haggai begins, once again, in a little while, says the Lord. God didn't put a date on the calendar that he gave to Haggai. God simply declared that things would change. Haggai urged the people to act in the confidence that God would be faithful to his promises. In the midst of darkness, act in hope of light. Now, the darkest time in my life was in law school. Socially, I was hours away from anyone I had known. The workload was heavy and it was overwhelming. Weekends were for more intensive studying. And law was the last thing I, or any law student for that matter, wanted to talk about when I took a break from studying. And yet, law students were the only people that I knew and the only common ground we had. Now, financially, well, there wasn't any money, so they really can't talk about finances, right? But I remember the sensation of thinking, you know, there's nothing else. This is it. This is what my life is going to be. If I live a normal life expectancy, I'm going to spend the next five decades trying not to spend money that I don't have, wrapped in a blanket to conserve heat, and never knowing joy. Those other people have a secret I don't have. How do they do it? Yes, I felt sorry for myself. Big time, I felt sorry for myself. I couldn't see past my current situation. I couldn't see anything other than the things that were making me miserable. The more I focused on those things, the more isolated, lonely, and miserable I got. And it was no comfort to me at the time the most everybody else that I knew was going through the same thing. And it was in the midst of feeling sorry for myself that I realized something had to change. I knew I was out of sorts. 
I knew that things were out of balance, and I knew that I needed to start back at square one as a person. And it was then that I remembered that I hadn't been going to worship. I know that sounds strange to say it that way, but having gotten out of the habit of going to worship, I forgot that worship was something I had done. So I went and I found the closest Presbyterian church and I began going. And slowly, Sunday by Sunday, the walls of my horizons began to expand. And so I went to Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. It's a large, at the time it was about 3,000 member congregation, huge Gothic cathedral on the north side of Indianapolis. Had multiple services. And for months... I would slip into the early service, the 8.30 in the morning service, which was held in the chapel that was off the main sanctuary. And being raised a Presbyterian, I knew that if I got there early enough, I'd be able to get into the second-to-last row, right? I'd sneak into the second-to-last row, hoping to be anonymous and hoping to be able to reconnect with God. I was, about, I was the youngest there by about 40 years. I can see now that that time was the seeds of a new time in my life. A time and an adventure that has been so much more than I could have imagined for myself. At that point, it was just hope in an otherwise oppressive week. But it all started by remembering God, remembering the hope I have in God, and coming back to worship. Now, on a much larger scale, that's exactly what Haggai was preaching about. The people saw the mess. They're out of sorts. They're afraid that things are never going to change. They felt sorry for themselves. They couldn't see anything more than the things that were making them miserable. And the more that they focused on the things that were making them miserable, the more miserable they got. It wasn't comfort that everybody else was going through the same thing. So Haggai, in his preaching, drew on the themes that had been developed in Jeremiah, the great prophet during the time of exile. And he reminded the people to prepare for the renewing of the covenant and the coming of the Messiah. The exhortation to rebuild the temple was a testimony to hope. It was an act of obedience that made no sense in human terms. But it made ultimate sense in the light of the hope they had in God. Their faithfulness became the seeds of something so much more than they could have imagined for themselves. Then, it's just a step of hope in an otherwise oppressive situation. But something greater started by remembering God, remembering the hope they had in God and worship. Now, Haggai's preaching to us in the, as we're in the midst of this pandemic, too. I mean, we can see the mess. We're all out of sorts. We all feel sorry for ourselves. We're afraid that things aren't going to change. Or at least, it's going to be a long time before we see anything that looks like normal. I mean, 
It's depressing. Am I telling you anything you don't know? Right? It's depressing. We've been miserable in this pandemic. And the more we focus on our misery, the more miserable we get. Now, it's into this moment that Haggai steps up to remind us who is God and to exhort us to prepare for what is yet to come. I mean, we are going through a worldwide reset right now. We're going through a time when everything has stopped and it's going to look a lot different when we get going again. So what do we do now? Well, this is the time for us to faithfully plant the seeds of a new time. An adventure that's going to be so much more than we can imagine for ourselves. It all starts by remembering God. Remembering the hope we have in God. And renewing our commitment to live lives worshiping God. And work. It's going to be work. Through Haggai, God told the people to work. They were to work because God was with them. We're to work because God is with us. But what work are we to do? Well, because our patterns and our comfortable traditions have all been disrupted this year, We have no choice but to return to God to seek His leading regarding what we're to do next. We need to get on our knees and spend time praying, not just for what we want, but for eyes to see what God will reveal. Now is the time to be laying the groundwork for the missions and ministries that God is going to set before us in 2021 and beyond. I mean, we dream of seeing new congregations sufficient to start a new presbytery, the Presbytery of Northern Nevada, filled with new believers. I mean, we can pray now that God will use us to plant the seeds that bear that fruit then. We can be investing the time, the study, the commitment, and the hope now So that we're bearing witness to what God will be doing then. And now's a good time to do this. Because things seem to be at their bleakest. With the cases surging as we approach the shortest sunlight days of the year. Hope is assured when we hope in God. In a world that denies God's goodness and the reality of Jesus Christ, the marvel and the mystery of Advent, the season that we begin, is that God is sovereign. God is faithful to the promises He has made. We have good news to share. Our hope is founded on the good news of what God has already done. Already done for us in Jesus Christ. The promise of His coming the incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Our hope is the confidence that God will continue to be faithful to his promises for Christ's return and the ultimate manifestation of the glorious kingdom of heaven. Hope is assured when we hope in God. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, says the old hymn. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And the chorus, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Advent reminds us of how God has been faithful, and it is the assurance that God will be faithful. That's hope. There are no circumstances over which God is not sovereign, and He is victorious even over death. As one commentator noted about Haggai, Haggai couldn't see that the temple would eventually be replaced with a cross and the ring with a crown of thorns. Haggai couldn't see it then, but we see it now. Friends, as we enter this Advent season, take courage, says the Lord. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. That's the reason for our hope. Amen. And let us pray. Lord our God, we do ask your blessing that you would renew in us and inspire from us the confidence that you are faithful to the promises you have made. Lord, help us to remember what you have already done and help us to look forward with joy and expectation the coming of your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would send us out into the world ambassadors for Christ, bearing witness to the good news of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we have received grace, we've received redemption, we've been reconciled, We have been adopted. And Lord, we know that we are co-heirs with Christ of the very kingdom of heaven yet to be revealed. So Lord, we ask that you would renew in us joy and wonder and hope and life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.